Have you ever noticed the world isn't quite what it presents itself to be? That something is just a little off kilter, just a little out of focus. Some of you may know me from my career in the distilled spirits industry as the alchemist of the Black Forest of Indiana. An industry, as I see it, more than just a little influenced by the occult and the work of opening doors and capturing essences. Here, you'll see another side of what I do and how I'm influenced by such experiences. Here, myself and occasionally friends will share first-hand accounts, stories shared with us, for tea and news, interviews, and a healthy dose of history and speculation. Settle in for the ride and enjoy. Perhaps that movement you saw out of the corner of your eye was more than just a shadow. Perhaps that weight on your shoulder, a bit more than fatigue. I've lived my whole life like this. Perceptive of those things that might be viewed by the less aware amongst us as simple circumstances, magic thinking, or even make-believe. Anticipating with the many ups and downs of my own perception, I have anxiously awaited the more positive of those experiences, dreading those of a darker caliber. I believe from societal observation in recent years that others are becoming acutely aware of the currently scientifically unmeasurable world that surrounds us. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. Join us as we take a hard left into the heath and the heather. Join us as we call out into the void, as the veil frays at the edges, and recall, if you have ghosts, you have everything. This is Alan Bishop of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Are you interested in distilled spirits, the production thereof, tastings? Well, let me tell you about a cooperative group of some of my best friends and favorite podcasters in the industry, the Bar Cart Co-op. The Bar Cart Co-op is made up of several unique spirits-based content creators. Do you love music? The stories behind the music? How about the way that music influences the people? who craft your favorite independent spirits. Be sure to check out Kevin Rose and Drew Crawley with special guests on the Bourbon Turntable. Are craft spirits reviews, good laughs, and big personalities your thing? Check out my brothers Patrick and Mike on My Whiskey Den every Monday at 9 o'clock Eastern. Patrick and Mike bring in the best of craft spirits, review them, and have a great time on their show. What a better way to follow up the shittiest first day of the week anyways. Do deep dives into distilling methodology with a diverse group of distillers the world over aimed at both home and legal distillers interest you? Then check out my other show with my co-host Christy Atkinson, Distillers Talk, available wherever you get your podcasts. How about Victorian era cocktails? My brother Brian Cushing, the Victorian man, has you covered over on YouTube via the Victorian Barroom. For more information, check out barcartcoop.com. Welcome back to If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything with the Alchemist of the Black Forest, Alan Bishop. Hoping you guys enjoyed that last episode, The Trickster Part 1. So this episode obviously is going to be a follow-up to that, The Trickster Part 2. And if you thought the last one was weird, and I know it ended on a weird note with the uh, 
the little airplane-like thing that clearly was not an airplane and took off straight up in the air and, and was gone. Uh, this one's going to get a lot weirder than that because things just kept ramp ramping up from there. Uh, so once again this week I have my wife, Kimberly Marie Bishop here, joining us. And we've also expanded the If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything universe just a little bit uh, this week. Well, actually last week by the time this comes out, right Kim? Yes. We've, up, we've got a Facebook page going now um, for If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything, where you'll get updates as to when new episodes uh, land to the streaming services, um, amongst other, like, if we find some cool articles, cryptid related or paranormal related, or, you know, just the left side of the path related, as it were, you'll find those um, things there as well. Um, and you can find us on most major podcasting services now, correct? Right. We're on Spotify. We're on Anchor. We're, on, we, we're waiting approval on Google Podcasts. We're on um, Amazon Music. We're also on... Apple. Apple, yeah, so you can find us on iTunes and all that stuff. Uh, there was some talk earlier, I don't know if we'll do it or not, we'll, we'll have to see, but maybe even starting some kind of group for people who right. might want to share their right. stories. either that or like we'll do um, maybe even like a once a week post where people can share their experiences or, and um, so we can see just how broadly the world is changing around us in a metaphysical paranormal way right i'd also be more than happy to potentially uh have other people share their stories with us if they were to want them published we could do that uh or if there's a uh, particular subject they find interesting you know they can currently do that on the uh if you have ghosts you have everything uh facebook page let us know what kind of subjects you're interested in what you'd like to see us talk about and that sort of thing and we'll do a deep dive into that or if you've got a, a really interesting story and it sounds truthful and we believe it's truthful, maybe we could even potentially get some people on the show in the future to go into that. Um, we do have some deep dives coming up on individual subjects in the future. Uh, the next episode after this will likely be the Count of St. Germain, uh, which we're working on right now, as well as a couple of uh, potential kind of quote unquote Halloween specials. So uh, you have anything else to add to the intro here, Kim? Um, I think I think that covers about all of it. All right. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get ready and we're gonna jump right back into the story and uh, set back, relax, and enjoy your evening. All right, guys. So when last we left off, uh, Alan was telling you guys about the aircraft thing in the driveway, and as he said, that was weird. But it only got weirder as it went along. So that brings us to more things happening in the immediate vicinity of the farm and the neighbor's farms. One of the um, more tangible experiences that we had, um, again, is with doorknobs and rooms in the house. Yeah, almost poltergeist-style activity. Right. So um, on the deck um, at Alan's parents' house, um, they built on a spare room that used to house a, um, hot tub. That hot tub had long since been taken out and everything, and it was actually used as a spare room, kind of a, a tool room. Um, yeah, it's a woodworking soap shop. Soap room. We made soap in there at the time and all that good stuff. Um, we're sitting on the swing one afternoon, as we do, um, or did at the time, and, um, just talking 
And again, the doorknob turned, and, and we both watched it. It turned all the way around. The door unlatched and opened probably 10 inches. Mm-hmm. And this is a door uh, very similar to what we talked about in the house, uh, but this is outside. It's a, it's a heavier door, and it tends to swell quite a bit. Because it's outside, yeah, because and that humidity. room is not temperature controlled. Mm-hmm. So, and we both just got, I just kind of remember us both looking at each other. And at that point, it was becoming sort of a, well, I'm not really, not really surprised by that anymore. So that stuff wasn't really freaking me out at the time. It just it seemed like it was kind of expected that that would happen. Um, it became and, normal. Yes. Uh, yeah. You get used to those sort of things. But the now the, the next little piece that happened was when I started to get pretty seriously freaked out. So. Right. So as we said, we're in the middle of rural southern Indiana, and we're surrounded on all sides by cattle farmers, um, pasture land, um, cropland, etc. A couple of our neighbors to the back and left side, if you're looking down the driveway, have um, wildlife plots, which in the state of Indiana, the state will actually pay you to plant wildlife plots to feed the animals, right? Um, one night we got a phone call and again, I had come home from work and we were watching TV or whatever. I half dozed off and all that good stuff. Um, we got a phone call from one of these neighbors and again, old farmer, salt of the earth people. This is the same na- neighbor whose, uh, whose wife had seen the cat come out of the barn in the previous episode. And he let us know, he said, you know, you guys, like, he, 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 he called he, and when I, I, I talked to him. And his, he was kind of freaked out. Like, there was some, there, I could tell something was wrong. And I thought he was calling to let us know, like, hey, you know, somebody's trespassing. Or, hey, some, you know, something terrible's happened. The wood's back there on fire or whatever, by the way his voice sounded. Um, but what he came out with was, like, hey, are you guys busy? What are you doing? I know it's dark outside, but I was just out checking the fences. And I came up on the food plot. And uh, basically, I saw something really weird there that I, I can't explain. He goes... Part of the food crop, the food plot, is laid down. I don't remember what they had planted in there, but it was, it was pretty... sorghum is what it was. Was it sorghum? it was like tall, grassy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes, it, it doesn't look like an animal is bedded down in it. He goes, for, for lack of any better way of explaining it, he said it looks like a crop circle, or it looks like crop circles is the words that he used. And I know the guy well enough to think, to know, not to think, but to know that, you know, he's not trying to pull my leg here. He's been a farmer his whole life. He's hunted most of his life. At some point in time or the other, he knows what it looks like when an animal gets in and beds down in a crop. And so I get off the phone and I tell Kim what's going on. And, you know, this is all the weird things that have happened before this have kind of led up to this moment. And so I I get dad and we decide that we're going to take the truck across the farm and go across the back farm road, which goes through the edge of the woods on the uh, southeast corner to get to the neighbor's uh, farm where it meets up with our property. And that's where the food plot is right on the edge of our woods. And when we do so, I decide to grab the uh, the 16-gauge shotgun, um, which I always kept loaded. I think I said this in the previous episode. It was it was alternating loads. So it was birdshot, then buckshot, and then a slug. Right. And part of the rationale behind that was previously, several years ago, the same, the, not that neighbor, but his son actually shot a large wild hog. Right. 
on their property. So we didn't know if maybe there was another wild hog. And I mean, they're not super common in Indiana, but at the same time, they are here. Right. Well, it's also a home protection thing. That's why right. I actually do it. You right. get one warning shot and then, then it's your ass. Right, so. exactly. And so it was a protection situation and you don't want to come, if it is a wild animal, you don't want to come on it and it be like protecting what it perceives as its space and right. you not be armed to protect yourself because if mm -hmm. it's a wild and this boar that they killed was a massive boar mm -hmm. so you don't want to come up on a wild animal like that and not be able to protect yourself because a boar will kill you right quickly. or just to kill it on side anyways because that's that's it's an invasive it's an, species yeah exactly in and it's a food species so uh, anyways, long and short of this is, uh, dad ends up driving his, uh, four by four truck and I end up, uh, being the redneck that I am in the, in the bed of the truck with the shotgun. Um, we take off and we kind of go over the little knoll, the little hill that's right behind the house. And as you come up to the top of the hill, you drop down into another little dip, another little valley there that runs across the farm. And we were hearing things coming from the woods at the time as well that evening uh, similar to what we would hear, what we heard with the neighbors and that sort of thing, but not quite as loud. But as I came back down the dip of the hill, I see a coyote and it runs out of the forest line and it runs right out into the headlights. It's not maybe 30 yards away from us. Uh, it doesn't even bother with the truck. It turns around and it looks back at the woods and it's yapping at the woods. It's yapping at the edge of the wood line. Now there's no, uh, there's no other coyotes with it, right? Uh, and this thing seemed to, whatever this was that was going on, coyotes seemed to have a very visceral reaction to it. And I think I included that in the story later on, yes. uh, which we'll get into. But this coyote stopped in front of us, and coyotes are usually pretty shy about that. Now, I watched it for a few minutes. We sat in the truck and watched it for a few minutes. I took a warning shot at it. I wasn't trying to hit it. I did not hit it. I hit in front of it. And the coyote still did not move. It continued to yap at the edge of the woods. So whatever it perceived as a threat was not us. It was whatever was in those woods that night. Uh, we just about had to bump it with the truck to actually get the coyote to move. And, and singular coyotes will not, like, they'll warn you that they're there, but they will not stick around when it's humans. Not generally. A couple of coyotes, eh, they might push their luck. A pack of coyotes, on the other hand, will try to take down a human if they think they can. If they're usually koi dogs, usually hybrids will right. do that. Yeah. And at that time in the year, I don't believe that the coyotes were running in packs yet, right? Mm, they Well, they would have just, they always kind of run in packs to some degree, but not large packs. So um, also bear in mind the reverence of the, uh, the, the, the trickster from the original intro from the first episode of this being, uh, one, you know, one of the tricksters being the coyote. Yes. Um, and one of the reasons I believe that Native Americans believe that is because coyotes have the ability to uh, shatter their voice uh, and they can make themselves sound like there are way more of them than what they actually are. So they, they kind of use that to confuse their prey and trick their prey. Uh, there's also, if you're at all familiar with the idea of the dog man, uh, which we're going to get into on this show at some point in time, of course, that's a very popular conversation. But if you're at all familiar with that idea, that concept, uh, coyotes are very closely associated with that concept as well, uh, which we'll talk about. So nonetheless, the coyotes out of the way now. We go on up the hill. We hit the back farm road there. It runs along the uh, fence line between the other neighbor and the neighbor's house or the neighbor's farm that we're headed towards. Um, I remember distinctly riding in the back of the truck and uh, <laughs> looking around in the woods. I think we had watched 
We'd been, like we said, we'd been watching Monster Quest and stuff like that anyways around that same time period. Right. And I think I'd done some research on the Chupacabra and all that shit. Right. And, and of course, the that back farm road goes right through the woods. Right. There's no there's, light. You know, it's dark as hell. Growth, old growth trees hanging over top right. of you. Right. And it's a windy, bouncy road. So and you're just, like, something's going to get yeah, me. Yeah, I was just in the back of the truck going, this is how it ends. I'm right. Not, <laughs> I'm not coming home from this one. So we get all the way down the uh, the back farmland, get over to the edge of the neighbor's property, and uh, Dad and I get out. We walk around the, the fence row and walk over to where the food plot was, and uh, no shit, the closest thing I've ever seen to crop circles in my life. If they weren't crop circles, I don't know what they were. Everything yeah, as was... I recall, because you took me over there the next day, mm-hmm. the, the, gra- the sorghum. So sorghum is a grass-like plant that makes sugar. And you can cook it down and make syrup out of it. Right. And it's got like a grain at the top of it, doesn't it? Yes. So it was like folded over at yeah, it was the all, ground. It was all it at was 45 like, degree yeah, angles. it was folded over at the ground. And there weren't any trails. There were no trails into going or in out or of out. It. And when an animal beds down, it wallows. It doesn't just push things right. over. Right. Well, and nothing appeared eaten. Nothing had been eating on that whatsoever. Or rutting. Uh, the other thing about it is uh, I didn't notice even any birds around that site for several days. And the woods went quiet for days. Literally and, quiet. There right. was nothing running. There were no squirrels, no rabbits, no deer, no nothing. Um, we didn't experience anything else that evening that I can recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you that I did ride in the front of the truck on the way back to the house, though. Right. Because <laughs> I was done with that. This is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of the Black Forest. Falls in the air. The leaves are changing. The night's getting a little longer. That only means one thing to me. It's apple brandy season. Be on the lookout for our brand new Spirits of French Lick Bottled and Bond Old Clifty Hoosier Style Apple Brandy. Made from fresh pressed Michigan apples and matured in both 53 gallon number two charred new American oak barrels as well as 68 gallon hogshead barrels. Never chill filtered and always double pot distilled. Named for the legendary pre prohibition distillery north of Campbellsburg, Indiana. Remember, brandy's just distilled wine but it's also Bourbon's sexier older sister. Please drink responsibly. Okay, so the next event that comes to mind is the fact that the older dog, and at the time he was, I mean, an old hound dog, he would not stay out at night like he normally would. Right, this dog was always outside. He wanted to be outside all the time, and he got to where you had to force him to go outside at night because he would not go out there. This is the same dog that tried to tear the door down uh, when the other dog was attacked. And we began to notice because we would go outside and sit while he would do his running because it made him more comfortable. He would never go very far from the house after dark. Um, we would go out and sit and listen and in the process of listening, we started noticing sounds that were not normal to our area. Right. I'm going to add to the to the dog thing real quick, too, because I don't think we mentioned this in the last episode. But this is the same dog that I literally saw uh, roll a full-size coyote. Now, this is a beagle dog. He took off running at this coyote and broadsided it and rolled this coyote two or three times. And the coyote got up and ran away. Right. So, so he wasn't... He was didn't used to be scared of things. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
but the that's when the weird noises started happening and and at first it was kind of entertaining uh you know i i whoop like they do on the bigfoot shows and that sort of stuff and uh Occasionally, you'd get a little something back, but it was so, as I remember it, it was kind of faint. You couldn't... Right, it sounded like it was far away, or like maybe it was a questioning of, is that an actual thing, or... Right. And then I started to notice as well that the coyotes uh, that were running in packs, uh, every once in a while, you would hear something in the woods make a noise, and it would set the coyotes off. And... It would either set them off, or if they were already going off, they would go dead, dead silent. silent. And when they started up again, they would be far, far away from the source of the noise. Right, exactly. And as, as time went on, those noises in the woods started getting louder and louder, and the coyotes started moving further and further out, uh, all the way to the extent that at one point in time, I even remember posting on social media, is anybody else in the neighborhood hearing this? Right. Um, and there, of course, mo at that time, a lot of the farmers and stuff, they weren't, you know, they weren't on right. social media. Right, I mean, but... the, the farmers... <laughs> daughter who is also a farmer that lives on the hill behind us she is also you know in the same vein as us with the weird things or weird things um she would message us and be like yeah i heard that this is what's going on back here um, she actually started calling our woods the north woods and she she, she still this day says don't go to the north woods exactly exactly that's what <laughs> she says but and something we began to learn about this thing, whatever it was, it would make its calls, and as it got more comfortable with us, we would call to it, and it would return. Which was not smart. Right, right. There's a reason that they say, don't whistle after dark, don't look into the trees after dark. Right. Don't well, look behind of, you in the woods. The stories of Will-o'-the-Wisp, etc., and all that stuff. And this is this is all also coincident with starting to leave gifts for the quote-unquote brownie yeah. and all that sort of stuff, which also was not intelligent uh, to do, I which don't Which we know think. now. Um, there are reasons that you you don't say thank you to the small people. Well, and this goes and back. And you leave them gifts instead yeah. and things of that nature. Um, or you flat ignore them. Or you ignore them, yes. And that, go that goes back to the intro that we did in episode in episode one of this, part one of this show uh, about the trickster, about the leprechaun being able to uh, to trick you into hurting yourself on accident, right? Or the, um, the fae stealing children and things right, of that nature. Right, the changelings. Yeah, but one of the things that we noticed, the, the first time I remember being, short of being in the back of that truck and seeing the, the crop circle, the thing that really gave me cold chills, the thing that really messed me up was uh, occasionally, like I said, we would get a reply to these whoops and these hollers. When it would get closer. Yes, but the thing that really bothered me was whistling. Because I would whistle at it. Now, several Native American uh, tribes and beliefs, you know, they, they say don't whistle at night. It kind of calls them in. Uh, but the first time I ever got a whistle back, and it was a clear it was a whistle. whistle, a loud whistle, and it mimicked exactly what I did, uh, that sent cold chills down my spine. Right, yes. And then it started to whistle just to whistle. Right. And, and then, it would happen and then the, in daytime the daytime phenomenon started. Yes. Where when Alan would be by himself on the farm, so there's nobody to corroborate this other than the neighbor, um, the same lady. She had experienced things similar. Um, rock throwing. Rock throwing, tree knocking, things like that. And Heavy I believe that your dad knocking. experienced the tree knocking and the yes. rock throwing when he would walk, walk the dogs like at dusk. 
Right. And we had we had rockstone at the greenhouse. We had rockstone at the house. We had rockstone at vehicles. They weren't big rocks. They were just small pebbles, but they were definitely being thrown from something. Uh, this was also around the same time that occasionally you would see what one might describe as an orb in the woods. Right. And this was also at the same time that I became very acutely aware that something was watching me when I was in the woods. And I've never been freaked out in the woods like that in my entire life. But I got to where I didn't even want to go out there during the daytime. Right. I mean, and I remember distinctly at one time we had uh, a hunter come onto the property and had dogs running along the back fence row. And Jimmy went to chase them. And you and I both ran after Jimmy because we didn't know what kind of dogs they were. Right. But we were trying to catch our dog and get this hunter that was not supposed to be on the property off of the property. And both of us ran into the woods. We caught the dog. And when we did... It was at dusk, so we're like, we need to get the hell out of here now. Right, right. <laughs> I still don't like to go to the woods after dark <laughs> right now. So, Well, yeah, there, there's a reason that our cabin is where it is and is protected in the way that it is protected. <laughs> right. And um, the a, a blackout curtain over the window at night. <laughs> so one of the other things that I, I very distinctly remember this as well, and, and Kim can corroborate this too, uh, at least one instance of it, she has a picture of it somewhere still yet, I think. Um, and we didn't put down a measuring stick on unfortunately, to see how no. big it was. But we started getting um, random, huge canine tracks. And, and they I... were canine because you could tell there were the claws were not retracted. Right, and they were massive. They, and were, they were bigger. Like we they had, were bigger at, than a domestic at the time dog. We had, yeah, at the time we had beagles. The neighbor had a collie, uh, two boxers, and then a black lab, I think, at the time. And none of them had a track that was this big. Not only was it big, it was also the impression that was left in the mud was super deep. It, there was some weight behind whatever this yep. was. Now, the, that, it's not that weird to find a large dog track, okay? That happens. But when you find a large dog track in a muddy field and it's the only track and it's only one and track. It, it was it was a deep enough track that while, yes, the, it was damp, it was clay and it had been in the sunshine long enough that it had started to crust over right and bearing in mind again that we're talking about a trickster here so again at the time i was deeply into my my spiritual research and deeply into the 14 and the supernatural and i had just learned about this thing called the dog man uh which again we'll do an entire show on in the future i'm absolutely sure of that but whatever this thing was it wanted me to believe it was whatever was in my mind at the time. If I thought little people, it portrayed itself as little people. If I thought Bigfoot or Sasquatch, it portrayed itself as Sasquatch. If Dogman was on my mind, it would portray itself as Dogman. Uh, and it was just it. And I am a firm believer that that things can manifest physically, but not be entirely physical. What I think is happening here is that. Obviously, we live in a world that is multidimensional, and we can only access so many of those dimensions. The things above us can access our dimension to some degree. They're aware of us. They know we're here. There is crossover. Uh, and there's a line in the Quran that says that, and it's a creepy line to me, uh, that says that, you know, the jinn live at right angles to us. So in other words, they live right around the corner from us. But that line is followed up with, and they have neighbors. And I don't know what that means. Right. But we don't want to know what the neighbors are. I, right. <laughs> and I think this was one of the neighbors, if it wasn't a gen itself. I mean, nobody summoned it here. At least I didn't summon it here that I know of, at least not on purpose. But whatever it was, was very much so trying to trick me 
And I think it was feeding off the fear. The more scared of it I got, the more bold it got, as you're about right. to see. And that so. brings us to kind of the climax. And I'm, and we're not saying that this is the climax and then it, everything dropped off and it stopped. Because it didn't. This story continues even to this day. There are instances. But that brings us to the climax of the story. Right. And I think we'll take a little a little short break here. And uh, maybe let just, the suspense build. Yeah, we'll just throw a, a random commercial in here. This is Alan Bishop, head alchemist of Spirits of French Lick, and host of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. With fall just around the corner, and the crisp air begging for bonfires, friends, and ghost stories. Be sure to pick up a bottle of our Bottled and Bond Solomon Scott Rye Whiskey. Made from a unique mash bill of 60% rye, 35% corn, and 5% victory malt. We double pot distill this rye for retention and concentration of flavor. Always non-chill filtered and matured in full-size 53-gallon New American Oak Number 2 Char Medium Toast Barrels. A full five years. Named after the legendary proprietor of the Daisy Spring Mill Distillery, in Lawrence County, Indiana. Remember, respect the grain and always drink responsibly. All right, that brings us to the climax of our story and possibly the most, maybe the second most frightening paranormal experience I've ever had in my life. Um, it was my most frightening week. paranormal experience because I was right next to it. Right. <laughs> so this happened in October and it seems like this thing had a pattern. It was always the cool months. It was always after um, the crops have been taken down for the year. Yeah, it seemed to be post-harvest most right. of the time. But then it would also, like, it was almost like it would get to the end of December. You got, you got past Christmas, which is obviously a very magical time of the year anyways. You'd hit January and February and shit would stop. And then like March and April would start up again. And there's a part of me that wonders if that's not still just a part of the trickster attitude of the whole thing. You know, because there are people who are convinced that Sasquatch is 100% a physical thing. And I'm not getting into that controversy one way or the other right now. But the people that believe that tend to think it's migratory, right? I don't think this thing was fucking migratory. I just think that it was fucking with me. Right. So it would always start like September. We would start hearing the first rustlings of it. And then October, it would get a lot more active, um, especially and right around Samhain or Halloween. The more we acknowledged it, as said before, the more active it, be it became. Right, because we were giving it energy. Right. As all things paranormal or not of this world or alternate dimension, everything that's a neighbor. She just did a dance in her seat over here. You should see her packed <laughs> into this tiny bedroom, like stuck I'm a in between the dresser and the and bed. I'm caught between the dresser and the bed. She like shimmied like... when she did that. <laughs> but all things paranormal, they have to have energy. All things, um, as Alan said, the neighbors of the gin, they have to have energy to manifest. And the more energy you give them by acknowledging them, the more active they will become. Especially if they're if they're lower dimensional beings because they have to have energy to enter the third dimension to be able to come into this dimension. Exactly. So So that brings us to like mid to late October, 
probably right before Halloween. Um, and of course, at, at that point, we're acknowledging the lower level beings. We're leaving offerings because ha Halloween is a sacred time. It's when the veil is the most thin. Um, at least to, to a lot of people, it's the most thin. If you're perceptive, you can see it. Um, and we get a phone call from the neighbor. And this is a different neighbor. Um, but pro the closest neighbor to us that experienced what we experienced. He calls us and he says, are the dogs inside? This was late in the evening. It was, it was right. Dark. It was late. I mean, and it was late. We were watching like the ghost hunters live Halloween event or something. I was torturing Alan cause he hates those shows. Um, but we were watching that and he calls us and says, are the dogs inside? And when we said, yeah, and he goes, okay, because there's something getting tore up he along said, this. Absolutely getting tore up. Absolutely the house. shredded. And if you, if you knew the way the property lays, he lives on the same piece of property that we do. He's only about an eighth of a mile right. away, roughly, from where we were at at that time. He lives back in the woods, and then there's his barn, and there's what maybe. How far is it to the fence from the back of his shed? I don't know. There's there's about. There's a, there's a good half mile stretch from the back of his barn to the neighbor's house. Right. And it was, there's a fence row that runs along the backside of our property between right. the two properties. And right? that distance is wooded for about half that, half the distance between the two right. houses. And so he calls us and he says something is just getting absolutely Tore shredded yeah. back here. And I just wanted to make sure that your animals were inside. And we're like, yeah. So Alan and I went outside. We left the dogs in the house. We're sitting on the deck. And the woods that night, I cannot explain to you the noise that was coming from the woods. I have never in my life heard it that loud. Every animal in that woods that night was on the run. You could hear them tear through the trees, tear through the leaves, up and down the hills. Right, not not only that, but there was clearly something very... It sounded like two something very large is, is what it sounded like. Uh, they were screaming, and they were making horrible noises, and something was clearly on the attack on the other one. Uh, and the thing that was being attacked was screaming. And the other thing, the only way, only way my primordial brain can register this, and it was a very primordial experience, was... The other scream, the other noise, the noise from the one that was attacking the other one, was to me guttural. came off like, it was like a war cry. Right. And it was loud, and it was a bass frequency that I know that we could only hear pieces of. And the reason I know that is because the only other experience that I've ever had like that was seeing Black Sabbath in 97, and Phil and Geezer Butler's bass just slapped me in the chest. Right. right. And it was the same sustained vibration in my chest... Right. And that was from more than an eighth of a mile away. Right. It was that loud. And the way the property lays, like where Alan's parents' house is, where the neighbor's house is, the it's the neighbor's house is in like the valley. The, Alan's parents' house is about halfway up the hill, maybe two thirds of the way up the hill. Then it levels off. But in that woods, there are valleys and hills and everything. And it's just like, all that sound was coming up from the back fence, which was just a little bit higher than the neighbor's house. 
and all that sound was just flying up the hill and like i said all the animals were moving well and bear this in mind too so I, I, if i if i remember correctly at that point in time i believe the train had been moved i don't think it was still setting on the tracks no it wasn't there so now you're dealing with an abandoned railroad corridor going through rural southern indiana right and it goes right through the middle of multiple counties and let's just say, just for shits and giggles, that this thing was physical. I don't believe for a second that it was, and we're about to get to another example of that. But now you have a huge wildlife corridor. Anything that exists in that five-county region... Is going to take the path of least resistance. Right, where there are no tracks. humans. It's going to go down the tracks. You know, not to, not to you know, discount the, uh, the obviously metaphysical thing that happens with train tracks being, you know, made of iron and also being antenna, like we talked about in the first part of this... Uh, two-part show now the other thing that happened with the noise was as kim said you could hear animals running through the woods like exiting the woods like getting out but the other thing that you could hear as these things are literally tearing each other apart like and i've never i have never been around grizzly bears we don't have grizzly bears here we occasionally have a black bear wander into indiana very rarely but they're not really that big and they don't hang around on this side they head it, on up to clifty it sounded like something that had to be the size of a grizzly bear like two grizzly bears just absolutely going at each other is what it sounded like and they were literally it sounded like they were breaking full-size trees yeah, like you could hear you trees could hear trees crashing in the woods and the and it was it was right behind the neighbor's barn but it was moving they were moving up the hill as they were doing whatever they were doing uh and it went on for five six minutes probably not that it was probably like 30 seconds it was probably but, like 30 seconds but we heard it we went back in the house and Alan got his gun. I went back to the house, I got my gun, but I also told you that I wasn't going to go into those woods that night. There was no way. Right. I We're not care. going in there. It was literally that if it's that loud and it's destroying that much shit, like if it comes this direction, it might be a problem. Right. You know? Exactly. I was literally, again, like I said, I was in primal mode. I literally, my brain could not process it. Because we don't have things in Indiana that do that. Right. So, like at all. <laughs> yeah. So the next morning... So after all that, the, the next morning, I got brave enough. I decided I would go out and check the property because clearly these things are out there doing aliens versus predator shit or something. Right. Right. There's got to be some sign that something happened. With that much noise, there's With no the sound way. sound of trees breaking and all right, that. Yeah. And, right. So I... At this point, I've moved on from the 16 gauge. I went on up to the 12 gauge that I had. I also had, so, I had some high-powered rifles, but... I've always been very careful with them because, uh, you know, we have hills here, but you shoot uh, the wrong direction and that, that round's going to go for a good ways. So I took the 12 gauge. It had all deer slugs in it. That's the point that I'm at. I'm not fucking around anymore. Uh, I went out and I looked. I looked all over the property, not just behind the neighbor's property where we heard this thing and not a footprint, no blood, no leaf rustling. No branches broken, no trees broken, no nothing, no sign of anything anywhere to indicate that anything that we and our neighbors had heard the night before had ever happened. Uh, and the whole time I was in the woods, just kind of looking over my shoulder again, you know, this is how it ends sort of thing. Um, but shortly after that is, is when, uh, for me, to a greater or lesser extent, my experiences ended. And the reason I think they ended is because, again, this thing was a trickster. It fed off of fear. And when I no longer feared it, 
it had nothing to feed off of. And the breaking point is what we're about to get into now, which was one evening. I don't remember if we had heard something or exactly how it started. And Kim and I remember this a little bit differently, but we were out on the porch. I had As to we often were because that right. was we would go out there. We said we would listen. At this point, too, I'm stashing guns by all the doors in the house. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, we're out on the on the back porch, on the side porch in front of the greenhouses, uh, the woods off to our uh, uh, south. It would be the neighbors north, uh, our south. And I it had to have been that we heard something, but we heard something come out of a gully just up from where we'd heard the fight happen at. And I told Kim, and she she can go into this. He told me um, he reached into the house, got the gun again, and he told me stay on the deck. It's dark, it's late. I'm clumsy and definitely not fast. Um, I'm the one that you trip when you're being ch chased by T-Rex. Um, anyway, and he goes off the deck and around to the back side of the greenhouses. And at the time, we had just behind the second greenhouse we had just put up a security light because it was that particular corner is just absolutely pitch dark at night even though there's a security light by the house it's in the valley it's like a hole in the ground back there you can't see shit by the woods back there so i had walked down to within about i don't know maybe 20 or 30 yards of the woods just over the crest of the hill, I could no longer, I could see the top of his head until the next part. And so when I, when I got down there, of course it's dark, uh, but I see silhouettes and I see multiple silhouettes and whatever they are, they are very large. They're very bipedal. Uh, one of them walked out the edge of the woods. A couple more walked out behind it. I don't know how many total there were. What I saw was something kneel down, and I saw the other ones kneel down with it as though they were watching me as well. And what happened next is what ended everything on my end. Hey, Metalheads. I'm Mark, and I host Metal Forge. Let me tell you about the show. The Metal Forge features the best underground metal from all over the world. We spend every week with a different artist with interviews, in-depth conversations, and most of all, the music. We also feature audience interactivity where you can submit your questions to the upcoming guests. New episodes are out every Friday at noon Eastern Time at MetalForgeRadio.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So I see these these sort of uh, featureless things on the edge of the woods, and they're right on the edge of the woods, and they're kneeled down, and they're watching me. I don't know that they... I, I can't see their eyes other than a little eye shine here and there. I don't have a flashlight that's bright enough, and I'm going to be honest with you, I was close enough to the woods that I wasn't about to turn my back to whatever it was and go back and get a flashlight to be able to see what I was looking at. Um... But something happened to me in that moment, and I, I, it took me years to put this together and realize how this affected things on my end. Something had kind of broken in me, and there were a lot of other little things that happened over those years on the farm that didn't make this particular episode. Just small things that would happen to me when I was working on the farm, uh, as well as seeing, we didn't even mention that you also saw the same 
airplane-like thing. Right. Yeah. It was. It was a couple of weeks later. Whatever yes. we were. We were coming home from dinner that night. And yeah. And then we don't even have to get into that. It's right. just that you did end up I seeing it. I did see it. We looked at it through, but it wasn't as close to the ground. Right. But we saw it, it and then we showed it to your dad too. That yes, night. we did. But something finally just broke in me, and there was a piece of me that basically said, you know, I'm not going anywhere. This is this is my family land. Uh, that I've inherited, that I'm working, I'm here every day, I have to be here. Whatever this is, is clearly antagonistic. It's clearly, have, it has to be negative. It can't possibly be a positive thing for all the confusion and problems it has caused me thus far. And as such, I made a decision. And it probably wasn't the smartest decision that I've ever made in my life, but I leveled my 12 gauge. And I would never advise anybody to shoot anything in the dark like that that they can't see, especially if it looks bipedal. We only know of one fully bipedal creature on the face of this planet. Right. That for sure exists. Yeah. And again, I don't believe this thing was purely physical. I believe it was mostly spiritual, but could manifest as physical. Right. And I fired around into the one that was out front. And I don't know what it was still to this day. But here's what I know. It let out a scream worse than anything that we had heard during that fight in the woods. Right. The other ones ran, and it ran behind them. And again, it sounded like trees being knocked down. Huge trees being knocked down. Like, literally, if you took a chainsaw out and you were cutting a large dead tree for wood, that's what it sounded like. Right. It sounded like timber was falling. It snorted. It screamed. It screamed like a human, but at a pitch and an octave and a volume that no human could possibly ever produce. It resonated throughout the valley. And it ran all the way up the hill and over the hill, and it screamed the whole time. And I turned and I looked at Kim, and I said the following as I ran back to the porch. I don't know what makes that noise. And we went in the house, and that is where we stayed for the rest of that night. Mm Mm-hmm. The next morning, I got up and I went to the woods, and I don't even know if... I think I spent the night that night because, again, we didn't know what that was, and... Well, interestingly enough, if you remember that next morning, I didn't take the gun with me. No. I took a corn knife. Right. Because I wasn't afraid of it anymore. Right. And And honestly, in my soul, I felt like it wasn't there anymore. Right. And it wasn't going to be there anymore. Something resolved. Something changed in that interaction between right. me and whatever it was. So I went to the woods to look for sign. Because, again, I've hit this thing with a with a 12-cage deer slug from There should be blood. Close distance. Or whatever. And it's tearing down trees and stuff. But there was nothing. The only thing I found was where my round, I guess, hit a tree. Grazed a tree. Grazed the tree. A, a mark in the tree, and I think that scar's still in that tree to this day. Mm-hmm. But there was no blood. There were no footprints. There were no broken branches, no broken trees, no nothing. And after that, I was never afraid of it again. I was never scared to go into the woods. I wasn't scared to, to go out to the wood stove late at night. I wasn't scared to work on the farm by myself. I never, ever had another experience with it myself that I can prove was that thing. Right. Ever, I also stopped giving it any power. This is the most power that we've that I have ever given it. Right, is telling this story in this format with this much detail. 
But again, I'm not scared of it anymore. So I'm not even worried that that will feed into it in any way, shape, right. or form. Now, we say this is the climax of this story. But again, there are other people on this property. There are other people on the adjacent properties that lived this with us. And it, while we don't have direct interactions with it anymore in any like real tangible scary way that's not to say that there's not still something here because there is still something here there is still something interacting with Alan's parents um, with the neighbors and occasionally it tests the water here but it doesn't get very far because we have our own protections in things in place to keep it from being so and we'll get into a little bit of the recent history things and I'm, I'm gonna say this having my, my part is basically done in the story short of uh, mom's Native American story which I don't I don't I think we, we skipped over that entirely we did but. so we're I, I will tell that momentarily but what I will say is the people that it's still interacting with including you to some degree mm -hmm. are the people that are still giving it power to right. some degree now what i will also say is i have made it very clear to our daughter about this piece of property that those woods are magic and, and magic is whatever you make of it one way or the other so she's very clear and she has a very clear understanding that there is to me this experience was something sacred and the other thing i want to add about whatever it was that i did shoot again i don't think it was physical but the other aspect of that that I didn't mention earlier is that there was an emotional part of that, an immediate guilt to it, an immediate almost, you just shot another human feeling to it. Right. But I still think that was part of the trickster aspect. It wanted me to believe again that it was a Sasquatch or something of that nature, something right. that would make me have an emotional moment. Uh, honestly, those events were culminating as well with me finding my career and me needing to make some changes in my life at that time. And I think that even though it was a negative thing for the most part, it was also sent to me on purpose. It was purpose. trying to push you into Right. God doesn't put yourself. anything on your shoulders that you can't handle. Right. Exactly. So, right. Okay. So in recent history, um, probably the first... Since that big event thing that I can remember happening um, is right after our daughter was born, I became a stay-at-home mom, and um, she and I were here in the house, and I was asleep. She was asleep in the bassinet um, right next to the bed, and my cat had jumped up onto the dresser at the foot of the bed, and I very clearly... And this goes back to my dad, who has since passed um, about 11, 12 years ago. Um, he, he had some belief in the paranormal after he began to experience things for himself. But it took him experiencing them when he was the only one there to believe it. He didn't believe what was happening here on the farm because it is so fantastical. But that doesn't, that's neither here nor there. Um, but my cat had jumped up on the dresser at the foot of the bed. 
and I very clearly heard a child's voice and I was like half in half out of sleep I heard a child's voice say ooh kitty and then in my ear because my dad knows me he knows that my curiosity and the paranormal will get me my dad's voice in my head said leave it and that's just exactly two words leave it that's exactly what he would have said to me living leave it alone don't give it anything so I left it I didn't acknowledge it nothing else happened um, then fast forward the neighbor is still the the lady that lives behind us she still calls us and lets us know when she cuz they have cattle so calving season, she has bottle babies and she's feeding at all hours of the night. She lets us know when she hears the whistles, whoops, screams, rock and throwing. rocks being thrown. She calls him the rock thrower. She lets us know when she hears it. Um, and then fast forward again to just as soon as a couple of years ago, a couple of winters ago, or maybe it was like early, early spring. I had come outside in the middle of the night, well, early morning, to put wood on our wood stove. And I smelled like this putrid, god-awful smell. And that's something that's associated with these woods-dwelling bipedal creatures that they smell because mold gets caught in their fur and whatnot. But it was a horrid, putrid or smell. because maybe you just smell like shit when you come through a portal. Right, exactly. That's entirely possible, too. And, you know, I didn't really think anything of it at that moment. Did what I had to do. Went back to bed. Um, the next morning, I got up and Alan got up. We got him ready for work and I went and put wood on the stove. He followed me out the door to go to the car and he goes, um, that is an odd smell. And I said, yes, it is. He goes, um, you need to go back in the house after you finish that. I'm going to wait to leave until you do. And you stay in the house until daylight. Right. And that same night, uh, when they got home from work, Dale told us, yeah, I smelled it too. He was at the house throwing wood around in the wood pile. Right. Right by their wood stove. And their wood stove is, you know, right out their back door, just like ours. And to be clear, my dad very much so believes that this thing is a Sasquatch. And again, that feeds into it. It feeds into that to the extent that the other recent thing that happened, and this was this past winter, was something quote-unquote, ripped a panel off of his outdoor wood stove. Right. Um, and I, so I will, I want to, there's two more pieces I need to touch on here real quick. So uh, I hadn't even shared this with Kim, but back in the spring, I was cleaning up around the, uh, the cabin site. And uh, as I was coming out of the edge of the woods, I had heard something up in the trees. And when I looked, there wasn't anything there. Now, obviously, we talked about in the previous episode, this thing being able to appear invisible, like the movie Predator. You hear that often associated with Bigfoot, Sasquatch, etc. I did see something in the trees move, and it moved the branches very, very heavily. Honestly, I wasn't afraid of it. I just kind of shook my head, and I walked, and I got in the vehicle, and I came home. Right. The other thing that happened happened with my mom, and I, Kim and I did, can't come to an agreement for sure if it happened once or it happened twice, but here's what I remember. When I left home because I was no longer working on the farm and I went to work at a distillery in Louisville that same year that spring I came home and my mom was pretty freaked out now bear in mind this was during her having her issues her health issues with with drugs 
But she said something that really bothered me, and she said that there was a Native American man standing on top of the hill, and she saw him out the kitchen window. And he was dressed in traditional Western Native American garb, not anything that would have matched the Adena or the Hopewell or anybody that was here, the Delaware and the Shawnee, uh, with a loincloth and a large headpiece and all that stuff. Um, basically, basically the weird Wayne's World naked Indian man right. thing, right? That's the first thing that came to my mind, like, yeah, okay, Mom. Uh, but she was pretty serious about it, and she was pretty cracked up over it. Uh, she said that he was standing on the hill, and he was just staring, and she came outside, and she asked him what he wanted multiple times, and he never would answer her, and she said it looked as though she could see right through him. So take that for what you will. Right. And even... Even going forward from there, um, your dad said he had the issue with something tearing the wood stove door off. He also said one morning he came out and he startled something and it was in his wood, in, in the spare room. Like it sounded like something was tearing the spare room apart. Um, so take that for whatever it is. Um, and then moving forward it really didn't mess with us too much until right after the pandemic and we were trying to come up with ways to keep penny entertained here at the home we had got our trampoline and you know i had all the windows open in the house and the trampolines on the back side of the house and i didn't think anything about it i let her go out and play and alan was in the basement working copper and i heard distinctly a shriek of pain like she had fallen and gotten hurt um which the trampoline has a net on it but kids are kids and if one's gonna get hurt they're gonna get hurt um but I literally thought that she had fallen and broken a bone and I went out of the house no shoes screaming for her, couldn't find her she was not in the trampoline so I ran down the basement barefooted which our basement's like a root cellar so you have to there's yeah i run down to the basement where's penny and alan's like she's right here helping me with copper i'm like has she been down here the whole time yeah fucking thing was mimicking my daughter and i went on a warpath at that point <laughs> right and i used my magic and banished it from down here well and i think ultimately to kind of wrap up this episode, uh, there are dark things in this world that exist outside of your normal realms of perception. They are out there. Some people are more uh, attentive to it. And I will say that after the whole pandemic thing, more people are attentive to it than they ever have been before. People who 10 years ago who may have had experiences would not have told anyone, doctors, lawyers, etc., people in high places in society. And now they're telling people because it's becoming normalized. And the way that I'm going to end this is the following. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you're a moral person and you believe in something and you're strong in that belief and that faith, you'll be okay. And don't be afraid to tell people about your experiences because you're not the only one having those experiences. But don't be afraid of it. Don't ever be afraid of it. There's when no you're reason to be. afraid of it, then it takes advantage of that. Yep. All right. I think that's what we got for this episode. Yep, that's it.
All right, guys. So how was that for a two-part episode of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything? Big thanks to my wife, Kimberly Marie Bishop. Uh, I couldn't do half the things I do if it weren't for her help. She really is an amazing woman and an amazing mother and an amazing caretaker for some of the other folks in the family uh, who really rely on her. Um, Really appreciate you guys tuning into this. Please, as always, subscribe and share. So I'm going to wrap this up with a little little bonus story that got left out. Uh, again, I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't honestly real sure that I wanted to put this in. Um, from an emotional standpoint, some of the things with my mom uh, and her drug addiction and all that stuff can be a little heavy for me and maybe for other people who've gone through that sort of thing as well. But one of the things that happened recently, I believe it was within the last year, was my mom had called me from, or actually called my dad from work, or at work, she was at home, and she said that she asked if we were home, basically. She said that she had seen somebody come down the railroad tracks, the abandoned railroad tracks from the north. Uh, they were trying to start the tractor, said it was two guys and a girl. Uh, thought it was maybe me and one of my friends and my daughter. And she yelled at them. They didn't respond. She couldn't get their attention. Now, to be fair, her story changed multiple times throughout the day. And we did find out later on that she had gotten into some stuff that she shouldn't have at that time. Now, bear in mind that I work more than an hour away from work and my dad is with me. So the only person that we can rely on is my wife to to be here and the neighbors. We are lucky enough to have neighbors that are home and that are close and can check on things. So uh, I made the call to both... uh, one of the neighbors and had him go check and also made the call to the Washington County Sheriff's Department and had him go check one of the sheriffs or one of the deputies go check. I got the call back that there were no tracks, no signs of anybody. Uh, My mom seemed like everything was probably okay, but probably want to check on her because maybe she's having a hallucination, etc. So nonetheless, we, my wife gets that taken care of. Uh, we get home. I look for tracks. I don't see anything. Uh, nothing seems out of the ordinary, except for the fact that later on, we found out that the charging cables to the tractor had been cut. And I had not really paid attention when I came up, but the neighbor had also cut a path up the railroad tracks Uh, and what I mean by that is as the railroad was abandoned it was grown up with trees down the middle of the tracks etc so he cut those trees out he and the neighbor on down the way that are close friends so they could ride their ATVs back and forth between the farms now he's not in any need for money and I would never ever accuse him of of doing anything of of such sort but I walked the track shortly after I noticed that uh, and he and I even had a conversation about it that yeah somebody had done that Uh, But the old boxes, the old signal boxes that were full of copper wire had been broken into and copper wire had been stolen out of them, etc. There's a potentiality that whoever did all that stuff was involved in whatever my mom experienced that day. But again, the fact that there were no tracks and the tractor was surrounded by hay, by high grass, there's no tracks in it. There's no tracks in the dew early in the morning when the sheriff's uh, deputy gets here. There's auditory stuff going on, imitating a little girl just like it did with my wife. It really makes me wonder. It really makes me wonder. And there is a little part of me that 
that I won't say is fearful because, again, I'm not afraid of whatever this thing is anymore. But there's a little part of me that worries that maybe because it knows that I'm not afraid of it, maybe it'll mess with those that I love. And that's terrifying. But we just do the best that we can to take care of those that we love and protect ourselves spiritually. That's all I got for you all this week, guys. I hope you enjoy it. I love you all, and I'll catch you soon.